just got so quiet. I know what you're thinking. I just saw that video of him. He looks so tired. That was like day 13. My eyes couldn't even stay open at that point. But uh, don't worry, I only had a 26-hour flight to get back after that. But it was such a wonderful trip. And uh, I pray God opens uh, up doors for all of us to be able to go and to see the people of Rowika, Kenya, to experience the love they have for Jesus and to be... Um, just humbled by their love for Jesus and, and, and the way that they um, teach us so much about following him. Um, you know, one of the Bible stories that has been uh, circling in my mind a lot lately is when the disciples uh, are on the road to Emmaus. I don't know if you remember that one at the end of Luke. In the story, it's a, it's a few days after Jesus has been crucified, and unbeknownst to these disciples, he he comes alongside them as they're walking to Emmaus, and he saddles up, and he asks them what they're talking about. And first, they're like, what are you, crazy? Do you not know everything that has happened these past days in Jerusalem? And they tell him about how Jesus was crucified and how some of the women in their party are now saying that he has been raised. And then it's when Jesus, who they don't recognize, explains to them from the scriptures why he, the Messiah, had to die. And well, when they arrive to the city, they ask Jesus to stay, and they still don't know who he is, but when he breaks bread before them, they're eating, they suddenly recognize him, and he disappears. And I've, I've been thinking about this story a lot because I can't help but wonder that God reveals himself often, but how attentive am I to his revealing? I know I've been taught, I have the head knowledge, right, that he reveals himself in scripture, that he reveals himself in church, he reveals himself in the sacrament, in the created world, he reveals himself in people and in the events of our lives. But I wonder if I find myself more often than not, like the disciples, that Jesus is in my presence and I don't understand it, I don't recognize him, I don't have eyes open to see him or have ears open to hear him or a heart open to receive him, hands ready to receive and serve him. It's not that uh, we get that way and feel like we've renounced our faith or that we somehow have turned away from faith in him, but it's like we're stuck in this danger of becoming so distracted, so rushed, that we find ourselves settling for a mediocre version of faith. And I wonder if you think about that, that for some reason, we've just settled for a mediocre version of faith. We have this desire, this, this cry deep inside our soul that, like the psalmist says, God, you are God, for you I long, for you my soul is thirsting. But at times, the cry of that desire is buried underneath the weight of busyness and burden, even under joy or, or the hard parts of life, anxiety and pain, confusion, fear, and Somehow we have become satisfied with just, just getting a glimpse of God, just having a moment with God. It's like, uh, it's like settling for fast food when there is something so much more for us. And in the Old Testament, Elijah, he was rushed, he was distracted, he was afraid. And God reveals himself to him, not in the earthquake and the shattering of rocks, not in this loud wind or in the fire, but God reveals himself to Elijah in this very gentle whisper, in a, in a close, personal way, a heart-to-heart -heart way. And that's what we were created for. That's what we need, what we, what we want. And today, we're looking again at the Beatitudes. Again, if you've been tracking with us, you're like, didn't you just do the Beatitudes in November and the summer? 
and the year before that and a couple hundred times before, what, what more can we get? The weekly email is encouraging us that, right? It gets it and it says, the greatest sermon Jesus ever gave. And I wonder, is it enough to hear this sermon or must we live it in order for it to be the greatest sermon ever given? In some ways, the Beatitudes is a simple sermon, but it's also the deepest, one of the sermons that calls for us to have the most change in our lives. To those who heard it at the time, it was considered radical. It was considered earth upside down turning. It was calling for a life and a way of loving that can only come from God and that has no business being in this world, or so they thought. And I ask, what now of us? Do we hear these words of the Beatitudes and think it's just an ideal, something to strive for? Is it supposed to be something that is ours? Is it supposed to be this whisper from the Lord Jesus to hear and to do? And so as you hear words that you have probably heard many, many times today, I would ask you maybe not to try to solve them, but to let it just be Jesus speaking to your heart this morning. And this is from Matthew 5. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It'll, of course, be on the screen behind me. Or I guess to the side of me. <laughs> when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yes, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now I'd like to go there. I want you to, to go there with me now, to enter into the text, not passively, but actively, believing that if you go up the mountain, you know that you will not stay the same. That if you go up the mountain, you will find yourselves at a crossroad. And I invite you to let us walk and see yourself there. The crowd is going, and so are we. And you look down, you realize you didn't bring anything. You have your phone, but you feel maybe you should leave your phone behind because maybe this won't be one of those times where you get distracted, you get bored, and so in the uncomfortableness of it, you pull out your phone, or perhaps scariest is when the Pavlonian ding goes off, you know you won't be able to resist checking it, so you make the choice to leave the phone behind as you go up the mountain bringing nothing. And you're there, you're walking up the hill, there are trees offering their shade, and you find yourself and you make your way over to one that is open, and whether you choose to lean against the tree or you sit, there you are, you take your spot and you look ahead and Jesus is there. He's up a distance away, he's sitting not on like a boulder, but on a rock that's easy enough to climb and high enough for you to see him. And he speaks very gently and yet you can hear him just fine. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you bristle at the word poor, your first reaction jolts us, does it not, as we say with our mind and our stomach, Lord, yeah, I, I tire of being poor. 
I want comfort. Yes, Lord, this, this is why I have come. I, I want more. Give me more. Give me more money. Give me more beauty. Give me, give me things that I think I need so that then I can be blessed. I want more. I need more is what your mind and stomach say. But your heart hears his whole promise. Your heart hears his spirit. The poor of spirit of which we are. We are poor because we do not listen to his voice. We do not give him everything. We do not seek him always. We do not pray without ceasing. And so at this first crossroad of his sermon, you can immediately scoff and doubt and phantomly reach for the phone, or you can walk away. But you could also stay and listen. You can stay on this holy ground that he has brought you to and be blessed in this moment. Because we are poor in spirit. And he promises to make us rich. He says he will give us the kingdom of heaven. And as our heart settles, we drop our eyes, our heads, and we start praying. And we ask the Lord to give us the strength that we seek, the discipline to follow him. Our hearts pray for God to steady them. And we ask to let us see his kingdom to let his kingdom come. We ask for the peace that we need that is found in him alone. We say, Lord Jesus, you hold our lives in your hand. You have carved my name in your hand. And when you look down at your hand, Father, you see me, for I am yours. He then says, blessed are those who mourn, for they are comforted. And again, we bristle. We're jolted out of that silent prayer that we offer. And we ask, why do we have to mourn? Why, Jesus, would you allow us to suffer? Why would you allow our loved ones to die? Why do you allow us to lose? We look up and we scan the crowd and think we can't be alone in these thoughts of wondering why. We're not alone in our anger, in our desire to know why do bad things happen to people. And as you scan the crowd, you see someone you know, someone who, who knows all about loss and weeping and sorrow. And you look at them and you expect them to, like your heart, shout out, why, Jesus? Because they have experience worse than us, and they certainly don't deserve it. But you look at your friend and they are not shouting why. They are silently shaking their head in agreement. And their eyes are looking at Jesus with tears falling, but they have a smile. And they mouth amen when he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Because they know. They have experienced mourning and they know. They know that Jesus is the strong tower that they run to, that bodies fail, but we run to him. They know that weeping and sorrow may last the night, but joy comes in the morning. His joy comes in the morning. They know all too well that he is Lord, that he is the healer of our bodies, that he is the resurrection and the life, that though we sow in tears, we will reap joy. Joy shall be the harvest. And so it is here at the second cross road that we suddenly remember that Jesus too will suffer, that Jesus too will die. And so we ask to be spared mourning, but we also ask for the grace to turn to him when the morning comes. And he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And this time we just kind of laugh. Or really, we do that thing where you blow, no, you blow air through your nose, you know, when you're LOLing. You've done this when you see a meme. 
we say to ourselves, sure, Lord, that'll be the day. The meek will inherit the earth. We're learned. We read the news. We see what happens. Strength wins. Power wins. Money influences. Lies are touted as truth. We hear what they want us to hear. We see what they want us to see. They, they run the earth. Certainly not the meek. And then there's a little tug at your shoulder, your little side. It's a child. And you notice that they have no shoes. That they are dirty clothes. They're clearly poor. You look around for their parents, and all you can find is a single mom who looks a little beaten down, a little tired. But the child tugs again at you, and they offer you some of your goldfish. They look up at you and say, sir, you didn't bring a snack, so here you go. And you hold out your hand to this child who pours the goldfish freely, and you know that this is all that they have, that they probably won't have dinner tonight, yet here they are, giving you all that they have smiling ear to ear because they are happy to share. What does it mean to inherit the earth? Hmm? To have it? To own it? To be in charge of it? To have control and to manipulate and to force? To have wealth? Or does Jesus mean something else here? And at this crossword, you're beginning to be very unsure about what you have been striving for lately what you have been valuing, what you have been using to determine worth and importance. And Jesus immediately says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And your heart burns because for too long we have been apathetic. For too long we have expected someone else to do this for us. We have seen elected leaders do nothing. And every day, justice and righteousness seem further and further off. When we see how far the world is from where it should be, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we see children sleeping in parks with no homes, when we see war destroying and disease taking and all the evil and wrong that happens, we realize this is hungering and thirsting. When we see such polarity, when we see starvation and obesity, unimaginable wealth and poverty, we are hungering and thirsting. And when he says it, Jesus that he promises to fill us. It is at this crossroad that we can move from a transactional relationship with Jesus into something deeper. To not settle for just our sins being forgiven, but to desire to want to stop loving sin and instead to love that which is good. To start hungering and thirsting for the ways of God, not of our own but for the dignity of others, for the rightful role of the family, for the care of the earth, for the rights of people to love and serve the poor and the vulnerable. And we hear him call us something merciful, inviting us into a way of being merciful because we've already received mercy. The one who is expected to show mercy is the one who has received it. The merciful one will show it to those who are weak or poor. The merciful one will look for those who weep and mourn to bring comfort. The merciful one will forgive others and look to restore relationships. The merciful one will be merciful to the characters of others, thinking the best of them. The merciful one will not expect too much of others. The merciful will be compassionate. The merciful one will pray. And it's at this crossroad that we are finding that it truly is not just about hearing 
or having our mind blown or our world turned upside down. Jesus is driving at our heart and telling us that we will not be alone in this crossroad, that he is there, that he has shown us the way to go, that the things he speaks of are the things that he has done. He has welcomed the children. He has empowered the women, brought dignity to the ashamed. He has brought hope to the broken and healing to the diseased, meaning to the least of these. Jesus, having had mercy on us, having forgiven our sins, having saved us from the fires of hell, himself will lead us at these crossroads. And then he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And we're not arguing with ourselves now. Now we're just praying. You gave your life, so I will surrender mine. You say that we are free when we lay it at your feet, our cares, burdens, the things that weigh on our heart. So here's my heart, Lord. Purify it, create it anew. And whatever comes, trials, fire, you, you will cover me in your grace. Your freedom is here in my heart and in my mind. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And you open your eyes and you look around at the crowd and you see the children of God. And you realize that some look like you and others do not. Many do not. And peace is not supposed to be something you find for yourself, detaching or finding that Zen. Peace is to be done together. Together we overcome evil with good. Stronger together. To work towards unity. Not uniformity, but unity. We are not the same, but we are united by love. And we strive for harmony to move forward together, even with all the shades of difference. And it is here at this crossroad that you realize that this path is not just for you, but this path must be wide. And he closes and says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, false to say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward. For they've done it to those before, and they will do it to those after. And it's here where the crossroads end for each one of us. Here's where it comes, the time to choose for all who follow Jesus must bear a cross. But to follow does not mean to go alone. To follow means he will be there, that he will take us by the hand and we go. The response to the sermon is vital to our relationship with God. But the response is not the first reality. That is the work of God. Your Jesus has taken the initiative in leading you toward love and giving you salvation. And so as you go, he promises you. He promised that he will continue to speak to you, heart to heart. He promises that his voice will shape your life. He will show you how his voice will quiet your fears. And over and over and over again, you will hear him say, I am with you. I'm right here. And we will learn to say, Lord, whisper to me because we are listening. Lord, you are mine and I am yours. 
That is what this is. I promise to you, the blessing, your blessing, given to you, one for you, a life for you that you can be invited into, following, participating, stumbling, yes, but being picked up by the very hand of your creator who will show you and be with you. Before we sing, let's pray. Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to know you. You are God. Our soul thirsts for you. We don't want a mediocre version of faith. We don't want to settle. We want more. And you have promised to give the spirit without limit. So our hands are open to receive what you can give. Our heart are open to receive what you can give. Make us aware, Lord Jesus. joy to be known by you. Let your peace rest upon us. Let us feel the gaze of love that you have when you look down upon us. For we are yours.